All right, we are going to look at David and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. I've practiced that. Mephibosheth, and it won't it won't happen all morning, I'm certain. Uh, but before we get into the the uh, bulk of the lesson, uh, let's go back in time a little bit and look at how we got here. Our pickup. We've we've the quarter has been exploits of David, and we've hit a. a High points here and there, but obviously you can't cover everything that's in second, the first and second Samuel in thirteen weeks. So we skip a few things. We're going to backtrack a little bit and look at uh, how we got to this point uh, of this interaction between David and Mephibosheth. The last time I taught, uh, we 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 talked, we actually hit on the precursor to this a little bit. So it's it's. Interesting that I landed on this lesson as well. But back up to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 20. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 20, starting in verse 14. And you, uh, and you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off uh, your kindness from my house forever. Uh, no, not when the Lord was cut off, has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Uh, now Jonathan again caused David to vow, because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Skip forward a little bit in the same chapter, verse, 40, or verse 41. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed. And Jonathan went into the city. We can skip forward a little bit more. First uh, Samuel chapter twenty-three, read in verse seventeen. And he said to him, "Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that." So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. So what happened between David and Jonathan? There, that that what key word there at the very end. They made a a covenant with each other, and now I want, I want to remember that word covenant because we're gonna we're gonna hit on that covenant through this uh, lesson, and and hopefully if I get there to see one of the points that I feel like are that we should get out of this lesson. Um, but they made a covenant, and and what was that covenant? That David would do what to Jonathan's descendants. Take care of it. Show kindness to him. Now that's kind of open-ended. What does show kindness mean? I will get into that, but show kindness to him. Why is that an unusual thing for what? What? What do we know? What does even Jonathan know that's going to happen to David? He's going to be king. And when one king, when when one man takes over the throne from another family, what usually happens in this era? What usually happens to the lineage of that other king? Get rid of them. Kill everybody. 
because they could potentially be a threat. And so just the simple fact of saying, we're gonna, I, I promise to show your, your descendants kindness, regardless of how that, uh, of what kindness is, what it means, it's still uh, highly unusual for this time period. So that was the promise before, uh, before David even becomes king. Moving forward a little bit more, and we see in 1 Samuel chapter 31, Start in verse 2. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. The Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Mekusha. That should have practiced that one too. Uh, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. So Saul and Jonathan die, and David will then ascend to the throne and take over. And that's, that's kind of my how we got here. Now let's get into chapter 9 of 2 Samuel uh, before we run out of time. 2 Samuel, we see David um, being, he's on the throne now and he's serving as king. And starting in verse 1, we'll, we'll take this a section at a time. Verse 1, now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? <laughs> and there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God. And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of uh, Amiel, in the low Debar. Then, David, then king David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from low Debar. All right, so David took the throne. And what, uh, and, and what do we know about David? He takes the throne and he starts taking over everything. He becomes uh, great. He, he starts accumulating power and, and, and lands. Chapter, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5 uh, and verse 10 says, uh, well, verse 9, that David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from Milo inward. So David went on and became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. David not only became great and became a king showing judgment, we read also in Second chap- Samuel chapter 8 another quality of David. Second cha- Samuel chapter 8 and verse 15 says, So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. What does that show about David? What do we expect a king to show? I mean, it was clear. We, 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 we're, all the kings showed judgment. But what does David also show? Justice. I, I, I find it interesting that that, that verse, uh, you know, ver- descriptions and verses are there for a reason. I think that points out the difference in David from, from other kings. Not only did he show the the judgment of a king and and um, 
the, the ruling quality, but he was also just in how he dealt with people. Um, and because and and through this time, uh, he's he's gathering lands, and he gets to this point leading up to chapter nine, and now he remembers Jonathan. He remembers the the covenant that he made with Jonathan, the promises that they made to each other, and now he needs to fulfill that. And he goes and he looks for um, he looks for a descendant. Now we already said a minute ago. That, that, would, that it was not a typical thing for a new king to seek out the descendants of another uh, king to show them kindness. Uh, more than likely, they're going to seek them out to show them death. Uh, just a couple of examples, uh, even though we've already covered it, but a couple of examples. In 1 Kings chapter 15, we see an example of that in verse tw- uh, 29, when uh, Nadab takes power, and it was so when he became king, that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he destroyed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant. Uh, Jump ahead a little bit more in in chapter 16, when Elah reigns, verse 11, that it came to pass when he began to reign, as soon as he was seated on the throne, that he killed all the household of Bashah. He did not leave him one male, neither of his relatives, nor of his friends. So, clearly not something that a king would typically do. But instead, David seeks out specifically a descendant of Jonathan to show him, and the phrase that he uses, the kindness of God. Now, that word kindness, um, uh, the, the lesson even points out that uh, that is a Hebrew term, hased or hasid. Um, in my footnotes, in my study Bible, it is defined as covenant faithfulness. So there's that word covenant again that I said we wanted to think about. Um, the, the, the lesson text talked about how this word was, uh, uh, was a covenant language that it was uh, a a fulfillment uh, of a promise. Uh, And so I I want us to remember that reference to a covenant as we keep moving forward. Now, what's another reason why David might want to show kindness to this descendant of Jonathan? His love for Jonathan. Now let's think a little more cynically about David. He's promised Jonathan that he's going to take care of his descendants. But by uh, let's backtrack and say, why is it that a new king would want to destroy the family of an old king? What's the risk? What, uh, what's the typical risk of leaving descendants of a f- former king alive? They, might, they still have claim to the throne. They might still have claim, feel like they have claim to the throne, and so we're going to take, we're going to get rid of all of these, uh, all of these um, uh, descendants. Get rid of all the claims, so that my throne uh, is not threatened. This was meant once again. This was mentioned. Actually, this was mentioned in the companion book, not your, the lesson text that you all typically have. The the larger book that the teachers get. This is more full, more discussed in that one. I felt like, but the the term 
keep your friends close and your enemies closer came to mind. He promised Jonathan that he was going to take care of the descendants. But if he's going to take care of the descendants and keep one alive, there's also a risk that comes into play with that. And, and if you keep going further in, in the you know, spooler, spooler alert here, you, know, you look forward in, in 2 Samuel chapter 16 uh, and chapter 19, you do see that Mephibosheth and Zeba kind of challenge and kind of undermine David a little bit. So uh, those, just because he had to show kindness or he promised to show kindness to Jonathan, that wasn't the only reason to keep uh, Mephibosheth as close as he did, as we'll see setting him at his table. Um, but uh, that, that's, uh, <laughs> that may be a more cynical look at it. I think, it. I think we prefer to think of David as just purely showing kindness, but he was, also a, he was also a politician of his day, and he had, to, he, he had to protect the throne as well. So he searches out this descendant of Jonathan, and um, uh, Ziba, uh, this former servant of the house of Saul, who has uh, basically taken over some of Saul's land, says, well, there is this, uh, this one grandson of John, uh, Jonathan, grandson of Saul, who still lives, and his name is Mephibosheth. Uh, we learned about Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel th- uh, chapter 4. Uh, in verse 4, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Zeril. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, uh, the um, something that's interesting that that both um, the commentaries and the lesson text talked about was that Mephibosheth was not the actual his, was not the actual translation of his name. That initially his name was Mephibael. Now. Uh, I don't know that this really matters anything, but it's just it, it, Baal has a has a bad connotation to who would be reading this text. Now at the time, Baal did not have as much of a common a, a bad meaning, so uh, it was master or lord. So uh, his name could, would have meant the master is advocate. Uh, here, the author adjusts his name to remove that connotation of Baal, but gives him. A worse name, almost. He who scatters shame. Once again, I don't know that that really uh, uh, that really makes much difference in our lesson today, other than just to say that uh, um, authors of these books are cognizant of who's going to be reading them, and his name is adjusted. But regardless, Mephibosheth, as we know him, is summoned to appear before David. Now, you are Mephibosheth. You are a descendant of Jonathan, descendant of Saul, and you're, you're summoned to appear before David. What's your thought? <laughs> I kind of, as I was reading through this, my thought was, I wonder if Jonathan ever talked about David to his sons. You know, it, Jonathan and David were, were close. They were very close. Um, and so... Uh, you know, I, I I had close friends growing up that I've talked to my children about. Um, 
more importantly, Jonathan and David had a covenant together that, that uh, David promised to take care of his descendants. So my thought was, I wonder if Mephibosheth knew about this covenant. Maybe not. Because he was only five years old at the time that his, his father died. He probably wouldn't have remembered it anyway. And and it might and even if uh, uh, his uh, nurse what what whatever terminology it used um, his his nurse even if his nurse uh, knew about it she probably didn't understand it either. So realistically, uh, and, and I, you know, I don't know uh, what what other uh, what other conversations Jonathan might have had with other children or other in the family. I don't uh, know who all might have still survived. Regardless, uh, at the end of the day, regardless of what the promise was or what they understood or not, this is a descendant of a prior king going into the chambers of of a sitting king. Uh, and he probably felt like there was a risk there. But he does it anyway. Uh, verse 6. Let me get back to it. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his, faith and fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? So he risked, uh, he, he risked himself in this appearance before David. Uh, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place here. The king summons you in. Uh, you know, if you don't obey the king um, this day and age, you're probably going to be put to death. If you do obey the king, come before him, you risk being put to death. So he's, I, I don't know, maybe it's one of those things, play my odds here, let's go ahead and show up. Uh, but he shows up, and I don't, I'm certain he didn't expect the reaction that he got. He appeared before David, and, and what did he call himself? I, I, I am... Your what? Here is your servant. Now, you know, you look at that, that term and, you know, we think of servants uh, in one way, but this, uh, this word uh, has that connotation of bondservant, one in bondage, a slave even. Uh, so here I am. Whatever you want, whatever you need, I, I'm here. I'm I'm attached to you. I'm bo in bondage to you. I'm trying to garner as much favor as he can. David, on the other hand, responds with, "Do not fear." I'm sure uh, Mephibosheth is is uh, as we might say trembling. He uh, David says, "Don't fear." And he goes above and beyond what Mephibosheth would ever have expected. He restored the lands, and he told him that he would sit at his table forever. What does, here's another uh, question for you, what does it mean to invite them to sit at their table? We see, that, we see that a lot throughout the Old Testament. What does it mean for someone to be 
uh, asked to sit at their table? Hmm. Like family? Uh, you're accepted at, at our fa at, at this family table. It also has another uh, um, use. If you look back in Genesis chapter 26, In verse 26, Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends. Um, let me make sure I'm at the right part. Yeah. Um, and Picol, the commander of his army, and Isaac said to him, Why have you come to me, since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you, but, but good and have sent you away in peace, and you are now blessed, the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. Exodus 24 has a similar uh, reference to a feast. Um, Exodus 24, verse 9, Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand, so they saw God, and they ate and drank. Specifically, if you back up to that Genesis 26, uh, what did they make between each other? They made a covenant. And what did they do to seal that covenant? They had a meal. This is another one of those that I want to put, one you put it in the back of your mind as we go through this towards the end. It's another covenant language. They made a covenant. There's this covenant between Jonathan's, Jonathan and David, and David seals that covenant or recognizes that covenant with Mephibosheth saying for him to eat at his table. So remember that other covenant language there as we move forward. Now, what is Mephibosheth's response? I, I, I am a what? Verse 9, 8, verse 8. A, a dead dog. I'm a dead, not just a dog, I'm a dead dog. You know, Fido isn't looked as, as, uh, as friendly upon in this time period than, than man's best friend today. What what are what are dogs looked at as in in Old Testament uh, language? Look at Pro, uh, Proverbs twenty six eleven. Uh, wait, yes, Proverbs twenty six eleven. You'll know this whenever you get to it. Yeah, yeah. Dog that returns to his vomit. And then, and then, does it Peter reference that? You go over into Second Peter, chapter two, and verse twenty-two. But it, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, and this is talking about false teachers. A dog returns to his own vomit, which is the one we just read, and a sow, having washed in her, in her, having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Dogs are nothing but scavengers and lumped in with pigs. Glad Emma's not up here, right? Have say bad things about pigs. 
but not only is uh, is he referring to himself as a dog, but a dead dog, a dead scavenging beast. Uh, he doesn't look too highly on himself here, or at least that's how he's presenting himself to David. Why? Why? Why are you being so kind to such a a terrible uh, a terrible person as I am? So David's response in verse nine, and the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him. I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. But, but Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. So David, David took this land uh, that, uh, that was Saul's and restored it to Mephibosheth, but, set, uh, but, but turned around and, and told Ziba, you go work this land. He and his 15 sons and 20 servants to provide basically an income for Mephibosheth and, and provide for themselves. Uh, so not only has David preserved the lineage of Saul, but he also... Uh, he also spared this former servant of him. Uh, now, later on, I, I mentioned how uh, Ziba and Mephibosheth would uh, come to, uh, um, I don't know, deceive or challenge. Later in verse, uh, chapter 19, uh, David would, would later uh, divide the land, uh, land among them and, and so on. But at, for the time being, he kept both Mephibosheth and Ziba uh, spared, but close at hand. Uh, like I said, you know he's gonna he's gonna make, he knows the risks, so he shows this kindness, but he also keeps them. Uh, he knows what's going on with him. Keeps Mephibosheth at his table and Ziba working the land. Now, what's the lesson, or what what do I take out of this? Maybe you take it too. I had us talk about these, this covenant language, this covenant relationship between David and Jonathan. How did David fulfill the covenant? How fully did David fulfill the covenant with Jonathan? Yeah, that's the right way to ask it. How fully did David fulfill the covenant with Jonathan? And probably more so. I, you know, he said, uh, uh, the covenant was show kindness to my descendants. Not only did David show kindness, not only did David show uh, spare his life, which is really probably the, the primary intent, but he, re he restored all this land to him. He told him, you're going to sit at my table, essentially going to be part of my family. Uh, you're going to be protected. How is it, and we, we, you, we refer to this a lot. But how is David described early on? A man after what? God's own heart. 
How does God fulfill his covenants? How does God fulfill his covenant with us? I think this is a lesson to show, you know, if David's a man after God's own heart and David goes above and beyond with his covenant with Mephibosheth, how is God going to fulfill his covenant with us? You look at a couple of uh, 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 Psalm 23, verse 1, we shall not want, we shall not lack. Um, I like John chapter 1. I'm going to flip over as we have the last couple minutes or 30 seconds. John chapter 1 and verse 16. And of his fullness we have received, and grace for grace. Might even say grace upon grace. Flip over to chapter 6 of John. John chapter 35, or John chapter 6 and verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. And finally, Romans chapter 8. And this will be the last verse. Romans chapter 8. And verse 32. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us? How shall we not with him also freely gives us all things? David fully fulfilled the covenant to the fullest extent possible with Jonathan, and God will do the same to, for us. And I think that, you know, every story is put in here for a reason, and I, I personally think that's one of the stories that we, uh, one of the lessons that we get out of this story. All right, uh, thank you for your attention, and, and comments during the class this morning. Everybody have a great day.